The Scions finally greet their seventh dawn in the aftermath of Operation Archon, but despite the respite from Cataclysm, that does not mean the world is entirely safe. Primal threats continue to abound while less tangible political machinations swirl around our heroes. As this realm awakens, perhaps so too should the Scions from their secretive ways, though with this move comes just as much risk as reward. I'm Nero. And I'm Jane. And this is Radio Free Heidelin. Yes. Welcome back, everybody. It's uh, it's been a little while, but we are we're back in the in the Chocobo saddle, as it were. That's right. We are here back from hiatus with our new format. No longer are we going bit by bit, bullet point by bullet point. We're going to be tackling patch 2.1 a Realm Awoken in a bit more of a broader sense. Yes, in its entirety, but uh, more from a top-down perspective. So, no, unfortunately, we won't be going over every enemy type that you fight in the uh, situation with uh, the emissary towards the end of uh, the patch here. But uh, don't worry, uh, that leaves us time to talk about more interesting things. I don't know what could be more interesting than three imps. Well, I'll have you know, it was imps and a bunch of weird demon things just a variety of void scent really yes so first of all i want we want we we'll go we'll go chronologically i want to start off with talking about where this patch starts off which is the scions are famous now and that's causing some issues yeah so the thing is that when you are sort of this like secretive shadowy organization but you're also kind of working with all of the presidents and, you know, you're doing giant high level military maneuvers where you're like the main driving force of like most of them. It's kind of hard to stay secret. Yes. And as a result of their very public uh participation in Operation Archon, they've been receiving a lot of entreaties from various groups and factions and, you know, gifts and all of this, of course, all of which comes with a price, that price being do what we want. They're basically treating the Scions as a sort of mercenary group. Yes, and the thing you have to bear in mind is where does the Waking Sand sit? Well, it sits in a area owned by Ulda, Vesper Bay, is a territory of Ulda, and that means the syndicate wants to get its greedy little mitts all up in their business. Uh, apparently, and this is really funny, um, one, of, one of the things that, uh, that somebody notes at one point is that uh, the reason Vesper Bay apparently doesn't have an Aetherite is because the syndicate doesn't want to get the Scions too powerful. That's right. It is specifically them who is denying Vesper Bay and Aetherite. So really, if you need, if you want to blame someone for having to use all of those tickets, it's uh, it's Lolorito's fault. Apparently. Or uh, or that other guy, Telegi Adelegi. Or that stupid idiot in the hat. Yeah, or I uh, gotta hate the, uh, the lady in the hat. Um, we'll meet all of these people later, but uh, for now, the Syndicate is just the shadowy, you know, puppet masters at the top of Old Ob. But 
to start off with, I think it's worth trying to figure out what the two questions, what the Scions think of themselves and what the game thinks of the Scions. Yes. Because this is a this is a question that has many different answer, answers over the course of the game. Um, it, it will change drastically based on who who is in the writer's chair and, and what point of the game you're at exactly. And I think right now, what the Scions value most, now that secrecy is no longer an option, obviously, is their neutrality. But I have to ask, if you are an organization dedicated to the protection of the realm... How neutral can you really afford to be in, like, the truest sense? Yeah, and this is a question that the game is going to have to tackle at multiple points, and sometimes it does a really good job with it, and sometimes it doesn't. But that that is that is one of the core questions of the Scions as an organization uh, that really crops up many times over the course of the game. Right now, as far as they're concerned, the, the, the Scions aren't just you know, the main characters, right? Like the, the, the squad, as it were. There's there's quite a few people kicking around. Like, uh, you know, at the end here, you end up moving into the, the new Rising Stones. And as you uh, your, the organization itself is sort of rising, it, it begins to pick up more people. Of course, if you remember from uh, a few episodes ago, we had uh, the... Uh, massacre situation so they they lost quite a few people but they're in the process of getting some more that's fine none of those guys had names these new guys have names we got guys like arnvald and hori boulder moving in and you can't forget colton a colton, colton a. a like really the linchpin of the whole thing so as as you go you're you, as uh you you kind of go around talking to the scions about this menphilia sends you to ask around you know i, I noted a, a couple of responses specifically from thancred and yishtola here um that i thought were interesting to highlight so thancred uh mentions that because of their actions in operation archon there's buzz among the alamegan resistance that the scions might be the key to taking back alamigo and yishtola brings up sort of her her big establishing character moment from way way back at the beginning of a realm reborn with the titan stuff where she tells Merlewib to her face that this Titan resurgence is basically all her fault because she screwed over the kobolds, and says that because the Scions are are neutral, she can afford to say such things, and she would really like to not be tied down by any connections to any uh, political entities to prevent her from speaking her mind. Yeah, which is very important, and I think, broadly speaking, this is a good direction for uh, the science to go in. It makes a lot of sense for them, like, as an organization, to want that neutrality and to be in a position where they can work alongside with the Alliance, but they weren't beholden to the Alliance. And that and that second part's very important because, you know, they may be positionally the good guys, but, uh, you know, as we're aware with how... Uh, you know, the Maelstrom treats the kobolds and the um, the Twin Adders deal with the... Uh, Ixel. The Ixel and also everyone else. And everything. You know, like, we, they're not always exactly in the right. So it's a good thing to be able to kind of oppose them. I guess it's also worth noting that it is kind of weird that the Scions are basically like a completely oversight-free combination research program and special ops team, kind of. 
yeah, like special ops team and like kind of mercenary force, like a little bit, and also like specialist scientists. It's, I mean, I guess in a certain point, it, they they're almost like a um like a like a order of warrior researchers i was gonna say like an order of warrior monks but like if they were also scientists it's it's very weird in that way yeah and later manfilia will will say in her big speech that uh you know that it's important that the scions are beholden to none but at the same time beholden to all um and you know it's, it's just a weird place for the organization to be um and alpha but alphano doesn't think it's weird <laughs> at all in fact he knows exactly what they need to do and he's very mad that no one has done it yet yeah so this is the start of alphano's rise to power we should say why are um, we letting this 15 year old decide what we need to do i mean i guess he's right but like he's very pissy about it for one and for another He's 15. I he, I don't care if he's I don't care if he's the founder's grandpa or grandson or whatever. Like he's he's a snot-nosed kid. He's a snot-nosed kid, but the thing is he I mean he really takes the reins like like immediately. Like he is out getting people on board. He's like talking to like contractors. He's talking to like to to, to real estate agents. He's already buying the Rising Stones property. He's talking to everybody. He's putting up flyers. He's recruiting people and all this stuff. And he just tells Menphilia, yeah, this is what I'm doing. Like, he just totally sidesteps her the whole way. And she's just kind of like, uh, okay, I, okay, sure, I guess. Like, she's too busy. Menphilia's too busy worrying at that specific moment about, like, her mom, which we'll get to in a second. Yeah, he's the one who decides on Mordona as the new location for the Scions HQ because it's uh, it's still somewhat centrally located, but it is outside of any city-state's purview. And it has re- the resources they need to actually run their operation, that being adventurers. Yes, a steady supply of people willing to throw themselves into battle um, who, you know, probably are not that uh, expensive to hire. <laughs> so, but Menphilia, you know, she's she's kind of iffy on the idea. And this, is, this brings in, into the next part of this patch, which is all about Menphilia's past. There's a lot of stuff that you learn about Menphilia that technically some of it is not okay. It's one of these weird things where if you if you were a, a, or a meteor survivor and you played 1.0, you know all of this already. Yeah. But we didn't. We don't know any of this. Um, no. So there's there's quite there's quite a bit of meat here to to dig into with like Menphilia as a character, and I really think that. Like it really, it really goes. It. it goes. It goes by quite quickly. Like a real blink and you'll miss it style. Like exposition here. Um. So really, her main thing with why she's really hesitant to actually make this move to the Rising Stones doesn't really have anything to do with you know the location or you know moving the Scions or you know wanting to to leave Vesper Bay or anything like that. Like she'll get she she'll give some like sort of half-assed reasons. Like oh well you know we got all these relationships it'd be it'd be a shame to leave etc etc but realistically the actual like thing for her is apparently uh her sort of adoptive mom philemon she 
sort of disappeared at a certain point uh, between 1.0 and 2.0. And uh, recently, she's sort of appeared again. Like, like people have been seeing her around, and she wants to find her, obviously. And she feels like, you know, if she leaves the area, she might lose track of her again, and that's not really something she's into. So now... It's your job to go figure out where this Catwoman is. So to summarize what happens here, just just out of order to talk about Menphilia's past. One, a fact that never ever matters ever again. Her name is Asilla. That yeah. doesn't mean anything. It doesn't matter. Now, the, now, my question with that is like, is that okay? Is Asilla the name that she had before she was adopted, or is that the name that Philemon and um? It's Philomen. Philomen. Flamine. Flamine. Um, is that the name that she and uh, Warburton gave her, or is that like was that her name before that? I couldn't tell you. Also, I thought Warburton was her actual dad. Yeah, her adoptive dad. Yes, that's right. So to to summarize, Minfilia's father was a dude named Warburton who was like a triple agent. So he was he was a member he was a member of the Alamegan Resistance who was also working as a Garlean spy. But actually, he was feeding all of that intel back into the Resistance, and also he was carrying out a bunch of primal research on the side. He was a very busy man. Unfortunately, he was killed in a freak circus accident. <laughs> literally literally actually a freak circus accident a giant gooby who is like in a parade and I, I think this is literally it's just called the fucking parade incident of 1562 yeah. where this big ass goob you just stomps on in and just steps on this guy and breaks every bone in his body so he gets stomped by a gooby philomen is there Thancred is there menphilia is there Thancred saves menphilia from this gooby Philomen adopts Menphilia. Um, Philomen is apparently a very famous songstress of old She was like a basically a pop star, ye olden pop star here. Um, and and so this is why her her the fact that her body was never recovered after the calamity has there are so many rumors surrounding ah she's alive somewhere. Where well, it turns out she actually is, and the reason that she didn't just come back to her adoptive daughter to say hello is that the Garleans were hunting her. They were hunting her, and it was it was more important, you see, for Minfilia to be able to do her work in secret. Um, which is to say, uh, the writers kind of forgot. <laughs> but it's okay. Yeah. It's fine. By the way, something about Flamine here, her character, she acts like she's old, like really old. She's like 35. Yeah, she's like 35. She's not old. Like she she's she, even dressed up like yeah. really old, which is really funny because if you if you look up what her 1.0 design was. Now her 1.0 design was literally literally she's wearing the not the least amount of clothes that I think you can wear, but really close. If you see any of the dancers on the streets of Ulda or in Costa del Sol, she was in that outfit. She was in the like super skimpy dancer outfit. Yeah, and so it's 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 really mysterious to me that they've done her up like an old maid style. Like she's in a real like frumpy like kind of. Uh, 
like 1800s mom dress and like these little like old lady glasses and everything she's, she's talking about withering away at the rising stones there's like you are 36 years old yeah like ma'am you you've got you've got quite a ways ahead of you like you've really embraced like the grandma sitch and but the, like the really <laughs> weird thing about this little little detour here where you and alpha to go to find Menphilia's mom is that everyone is insanely horny for Flamine. Yes, not just insanely horny, but like creepy horny. So not okay. just not just local pervert Gegaruju. He is that's that's to be expected. That's fine. He's got a Mukode fetish or something. Whatever. Yeah. Discount him. <laughs> everyone can't shut up about how how fucking pretty and beautiful Flamine is. Yeah, and and like how amazing and and fucking siren like her voice was and everything like that. Like people were, it's like if like two thousand two era Britney Spears disappeared after a freak circus accident and then just reemerged like five years later. We should say also one thing that makes this part. I, I can definitely feel it here. Um, they heavily shortened this section. Um, so in, in patch 5.3, they went back and, and basically trimmed off a bunch of quests from these posts, uh, the, these post ARR quests, because it used to be you had to do literally 100 quests post ARR to get to Heavensward. Yes, it was it was an enormous amount of quests. The, the post ARR patches were one of the longer portions of the entire game and it was i would i would say probably the biggest hurdle uh that people had to go through to actually play the game like the the thing is everybody will say you know some shit like oh skip arr just go straight to heaven's word and the reason they say that is not because of arr because arr isn't really that bad they're they remember 2.1 to like 2.6 that's the bit they remember because that shit was not only extraordinarily tedious but has honestly some of the weakest content in it like right now like 2.1 is fine but you know it this is this is some of the weakest writing in the entire game yeah and also still no voice cutscenes. they still haven't quite gotten there yet um not a, not a single one in this patch there will be more later as as things kind of ramp up but for now yeah we're still in silent town um and one of the things that where you really feel the stuff they fucking cut out of this uh is when you you get to flamine and she's talking about ah i'll i'll return to my daughter when the time is right and then you go to the next question she says the time is uh now actually i'm going to go back and return to her it's like well okay yeah because it used to be there were a few quests between those two i remember that because i remember being really confused like hey why don't you just why don't you just go say hi to your daughter? Like, why do you need the special fancy perfume? Why do you gotta wait for this, like, perfume to ferment? Like, hello? <laughs> and this comes... This sort of kind of whole quest, little quest line, uh, kind of hinges on one of my big problems here, which is I don't particularly care about Minfilia. Yeah. I guess I don't dislike her, but I'm completely neutral on her. Like, there's... The th- the stuff that they do with her in a realm reborn they they want you to make they want you to care about her they want you to make her feel like she is the heart of the scions but ultimately there's not enough going on um, and this scene where she and her mother have this heartfelt reunion is like I I don't know. I don't really care about either of these characters. I just met one of them like three quests ago 
and I don't think she ever has an actual, like, spoilers, I don't think Flamine ever has an actual voice line ever, like, I'm trying to remember, she might have one somewhere down the line, but, like, she never gets a voice line at all. Um, there is other stuff they do with Menphilia later that I like, but as far as ARR and post-ARR is concerned, she is a non-entity to me. Um, which is kind of an issue for this. Yeah, she's a fairly critical character, and she is the antecedent or whatever, but in many ways she takes a like a really heavy backseat in what is kind of partially her story, because, like, so first off, you have Alphano, who's, like, totally sidestepping her and trying to take charge of the situation while she's distracted, obviously, but on top of that, you also just have, like, her her like very rushed kind of backstory like i don't know there's an amount of time that's that's devoted to trying to bring people up to speed in a way that i think is really uninteresting and doesn't give me a good idea of what her character is about like yeah i kind of know like why she's here but i don't know like why she's here you know and this is an issue that I think you you get a lot of in um, in ARR with these characters who were in 1.0 and were quite important in 1.0, and it varies from character to character. But there's like this this balance that that you can tell they were trying to hit, where they like onboarded new people, but didn't want to like bog down people who were already there. And I think that they really miss uh, the mark on that balance a lot. And especially with Menphilia, they, they really miss it. So mom is home and Menphilia gives the okay to move to Mordona. But of course, it can't be that simple. We have to have another detour. This time, we've got primal trouble. Um, uh, there's primals afoot. And uh, specifically, this this is actually quite interesting. So... Uh, you get a funny little guy showing up, and this this funny little guy, his name is Kuplo uh, Kuplo Coop, right? Kuplo Cop. Kuplo Cop. Now, Kuplo Cop is a Moogle. These are just these these funny little guys who like to live in the woods and are kind of invisible, sort of a little bit. They got like a Fey thing going on. Yeah, if you if you start in Gridania, you may recognize the Moogle as the one that tossed back an entire bottle of wine. Um, this time, however, they are not doing anything so mirthful. Uh, you, Yuri informs you that there's some trouble going on in Gridani. You head over there, and yes, there is a Moogle in the, uh, the silent sanctuary, wherever the fuck Kane Sena hangs the out. The Lotus Stand. What the fuck ever. <laughs> Kane Sena's fucking bachelorette pad. The Extremely White House. And, yeah, Kuplo Cop tells you that the Mo- the Moogles Guard, the Moggles Guard, have summoned Good King Mogglemog the Twelfth. Yes, to which everyone says, wait, that's not a god. Hold on. <laughs> so, Good King Mogglemog is sort of a Gilgamesh or King Arthur situation, seemingly, where there probably was a real one of them at some point in the past however they have been so heavily mythologized that their 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 mythological deeds have completely taken over whatever historical context they could possibly have so the 
Kupla Cop tells you the story about how the Mughals used to live in the in the, in the realm of the gods, but the gods began to quarrel, and so uh, good King Mogulmog, he 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 helped all of the Mughals go to the, the realm of men with a really long rope, but he stayed behind so he could hold the rope. Yes, and uh, you know may his sacrifice never be in vain. And yeah, no, everyone's just kind of like, well, now hold on a moment. That's not a god. You can't just summon a guy. You can't just summon some guy you made up. And yet, they and did. Yet. So, yeah. Um, the Mughals, of course, not generally known to be uh, a people who, who beef with, with uh, the, the various city-states of Gridania. They mostly just hang out and do mischief. Uh, kind of similar to the Sylphs. Yeah, but like the Sylphs, now that they've summoned a guy... Uh, the people who summoned them got tempered, and when you get tempered, you get a little bit of a temper, yeah. if you uh, if you will. The Mongols' guard have become very prickly, and everyone kind of speculates that maybe it's because the the Mughals have have kind of become like worried after all these goddamn calamities keep nearly pa- nearly hitting them and and barely passing them by, only through the intervention of like a band of heroes. Like, well. We're going to need something to defend ourselves with. We might as well call upon our god king. And so that's probably where good, the good king came from. So, you know, you, you there's this whole escort mission. We're not going to talk about it. It's very annoying. It's not, okay, it's not as annoying as some escort missions can be. But, like, it's an escort mission, so it's not fun. Yeah, well, at least it's not, okay. So there's there's a history of escort missions in this game where what you have to do, and this is, this is the worst ever, by the way, yeah. you have to click on like you have to select the guy that you're escorting and you have to type a slash beckon yeah and you have to be a certain distance away to get them to do it like you can't be that far away you have to be pretty close you slash beckon they come over and you walk a little bit further and you do it again and then sometimes a guy will show up and you have to fight and it's it takes a billion years luckily this is not one of those there's a lot of fates that are like that yes but yeah you you get kuplo cop to this uh this little bramble sanctuary where they have they have kind of hidden away uh the mogul guard and, and he opens it up and it's i guess it's time for us to talk about the first eight person trial you will ever have to do as a player in this game thorn march They they heavily changed Thorn March. We'll talk about the changes as we go, but um, Thorn March. First of all, you'll might notice that it's marked as hard. That is because there are no more normal difficulty trials. Um, those are an error only thing. From now on, all trials will be marked as parentheses hard. That is the default difficulty for trials. 
For another, you may notice that this is an eight-person trial, unlike all of the other ones you have done up to this point. Um, that is also the standard going forward. Yes, as of this fight, all trials are eight-person. Now, that used to not necessarily be super relevant, you know, like, oh, well, you know, it's just some extra people kicking around. You didn't really have to think about, like, multi-tank mechanics or anything like oh, that. Boy. But uh, but now you do, because, so, oh boy. So to start off, we, of course, have our, our goofy Moogle music playing over the first phase of the fight, where you fight the Moggles guard two at a time. I didn't write down all their names. They all have names. What you need to know is that they're all, like, the different classes you can be in a Final Fantasy. There's a ma- there's a white mage, there's a black mage, there's a warrior, there's a, there's, a, there's a paladin, there's all that good stuff. And during all of this, there's this kind of Danny Elfman-esque uh moogle music kind of playing in the background that will continue it will Uh, continue and it will get lyrics later it will get lyrics it's it's very like this first phase of the fight i think is largely unchanged i'm pretty sure it is basically identical to the way it used to be but then they summon the king now first off there's a few more sort of visual flares that have been added there's like some spotlighting there's like this weird little like yellow party horn thing yes when he when he calls in a a mechanic so good king mogamog of course uh engages you in combat the theme gets lyrics once again very nightmare before christmas oh super super whimsical it's it's very fun i think now this fight used to be a huge clusterfuck here's how it used to work so (laughs) the way this used to work is that uh you would defeat all of the moggles guard they would summon good king mogamog and then all of them would be ads you had to fight alongside good king mogamog yes individually who, who could not take who took dramatically yeah. reduced damage like extremely reduced damage while the moggles guard was alive so you had to go and you had to defeat all of these ads who were themselves kind of mini bosses now, now they, specific, there's, there's, <laughs> there's an order there's an order because some of them have uh attacks that can basically cause a, a party wipe um, so you had to kill, I think it was like black mage, white mage, bard, but then after that, it doesn't really matter. Um, but yeah, and then King Mogulmog could then revive them if you knocked them all out. So you had to like keep him in the center and keep all of the other ones at the, at the edge. It was, it was like, it was chaos. It was crazy. I always hated rolling it in trial roulette. Yeah. Full chaos. Nobody ever did the mechanics correctly because you have people who are brand new and then people who've done it a million times and then people who've done it a million times who don't actually care about the mechanics because it wasn't like a level synced fight so you, or like an item synced fight so you could just go in with like a billion damage. So yeah, it was a total cluster. However, now we have a very different thing going on. So there's no ads in this fight whatsoever. No ads. Um... How it works instead is that once you get to the King Mogamog phase, uh, he will do sort of fairly standard boss-style attacks. A lot of, like, big AoEs. Uh, He'll do—he does tank busters. Now he does double tank busters. He has a double tank buster, which was a feature not added until the near raids. Um, They put that in here. Yeah. He's got a stack up. He's got, like— 
split split up AOEs. He's got he's got like the concentric ring AOEs. He's got multiple. He's got overlapping AOEs that you have to time. He's got the whole shebang. He's got basically every kind of AOE you could you could encounter. So this is almost kind of a a like training fight for what you're going to face later like this is actually like this is this is the real shit learn what all this means learn what all this does and yeah he will he will have the muggles guard pop out two at a time to do a mechanic which is actually very similar to a future boss fight in a future expansion um yes and some of these also involving are- a king <laughs> Yes, and some of these mechanics are actually quite interesting. Like when the um, when the bard comes out, I think it's the bard and the rogue that yes. come out together. Um, they uh, they do the um, uh, what is that bard uh, attack? The the rain of arrows, rain of death, rain of death. So they they'll do like a rain of death thing, but it also leaves like a big puddle of poison. If you remember from uh from uh Brayflock's Longstop. It's that's the same poison yeah. from from that from that dungeon actually. So you defeat him, of course, and like a primal, he uh fades away into ether instead of leaving a corpse. And uh yeah, there's there's a lot of uh, it's interesting, right? Because you this is the first primal who is not explicitly like a god. Um who is not an elemental god of some kind worshipped by a lot of people. He is simply a beloved mythical figure, or like semi-mythical figure, and so once you go back to to everyone else waiting in Gridania they kind of have to start rewriting the books on how primals work and what they are. Because even though the details are not the same, King Mogglemog was summoned through the use of a large amount of crystals by fervent belief and, for all intents and purposes, acted exactly like a primal, even if he isn't technically a primal. Yes, and uh, and he also did the classic primal behaviors of enticing his followers to purge the non-believers and uh, all that sort of fun stuff. So um, oh, and the Asians were involved, as Kuplo Cop uh, confirms. Yes, uh, to which Papalimo's like, "God damn it, yeah. not these fucking Asians again." He, he's they he, apparently they shared this with them a long time ago, and they Kuplo Cop never didn't think to bring it up because there's a lot of weird masked guys hanging around Gridania. Which you know, to be to be fair to the Moogles. Like, yeah, they're kind of a bunch of weirdos in mass around there. It's kind of their thing. So it's time to go back to the Waking Sands for uh, for the, the preparations to move. And this is the meatiest part of this patch. This is where all of the real shit happens. Forget Minfilia's MILF mom. Forget Good King Mogglemog. That, that's all on the rear view. We're talking, it's time for some Asian business. Yes, as it, it usually is around these parts. So... You know, everyone's getting prepped to try and bounce, right? You know, we're 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 getting everything ready, packing up the boxes. You know, putting Louis Swa's staff in like twelve separate smaller boxes. So they're they're going to split everyone up. They're going to each leave separately so as to not arouse any undue suspicion. Yuri Anjay uh, is going to watch over the Waking Sands, and we have a an off-screen Alice mention. Alice is hanging out right over there, guys. Don't worry about it. She's yeah. just. She's, she's just, just behind screen. that pillar. Just she's, don't look, but just don't look behind She's waving. She's smiling. Just <laughs> off screen. <laughs> we promise. And um, yeah, so, so, so Yuri here, he's getting, 
the Waking Sands as a consolation prize, essentially. He, he's now the primal guy. He's 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 been put on research about primals forever in this little whole duty. That's his deal now, um, which is very funny. Uh, all things considered, but you know, I guess I guess they were all just like, listen, we'll put the nerd in the little nerd cl- uh, nerd box. Yeah, he gets to read all the books, but he's, <laughs> yeah. he seems happy with that. And Philia gives him her dad's primal journal, as we discussed earlier. Um, but then, as you're saying, as you're talking to everyone, you get interrupted by a scream, and this is where things start to get a little wild. So yeah, things go off the rails slightly. Menphilia has been knocked on her ass by something, and you get an echo vision of her being visited by an Asian, but not a normal Asian, not your run-of-the-mill La Habreas or whatever. Um, this Asian wears a white robe and acts completely differently to any other Asian we've ever seen. Yes. So this guy shows up, and he has a red mask, a fairly unique-looking red mask, and his fancy little white robes. And he introduces himself as an emissary. And he's quite polite, all things considered. He's very, he's very nice, very cordial. You know, tries to tries to just sort of talk about things. He has no interest in, like, doing a big fight. He just wants to talk. So he will later introduce himself to us as Elidibus. Um, Elidibus is interesting. So very interesting. First of all... He confirms that La Habrea is indeed still alive. That did not kill him. He's fine. He's just a little mad about it. Second of all, he he is very much concerned with the Echo, what he calls the gift. And as, as we see, he can really only be perceived by people who do have that knowledge and the gift. Because Sitaru walks into the room at a certain point and does not see him at all. And so you need to, like... You you basically have to have a certain amount of insight to perceive Elidibus. And he is talking like an emissary. He is making diplomatic gestures. He is he is hoping to next speak to Minfilia as a friend. These are not words we have heard out of any Asian. La Habrea just laughed like fucking Skeletor and, and talked about remaking the world in his god's image. Elidibus doesn't really do that. No, he's he's much more interested in the fact that, you know, he he's talking to people who share this gift with him. And that's a really important thing to note, is that he defines it as a gift shared. The Asians also have the echo, apparently. And that's and that's quite interesting. He also makes a very specific and important point of saying that the echo that the scions have, that Menphilia and the warrior have, that's a, a an unrefined echo, an echo that hasn't yet really matured into uh, as 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 powerful uh, as it could be. And if it were, if it does get that chance to mature, then the scions and the Asians will see eye to eye. They'll be best of friends, uh, which obviously is pretty unsettling for uh for everybody at that point when he when he says that shit it's also worth noting fun little flair because he's an emissary at a certain point during this scene his dialogue box switches from the jagged black assian dialogue box to a normal one because he is speaking on their terms yeah speaking in the the common tongue instead of the sort of ancient assian like horror text or whatever uh, he also says something particularly 
ominous at one point, a very specific line. He says, as it was, so it shall be again. See, for for him, uh, this this age of the Asians' old god that used to be just how things were apparently, and uh, and he wants and he's interested in bringing that back. Yeah, this is after you chase him down because, of course, this meeting does not end peacefully. Menphilia rushes at him once he tries to leave, and he kind of gets her with the, uh, the the dark laser there. Gets her with the old Biden blast. And so you hunt him down, and he kind of puts you through this little gauntlet, and then he decides to talk to you. Yeah, this is where he says, as it all once was, so it shall be again, this whole thing. Um, he also, you know, he talks a little bit about... Heidelin, it's like her influence shields her followers greatly. I wonder if it was also her influence which shielded you from the ardor, which uh, is what he calls the cal- uh, the calamity. Yes. Also, it's it is very funny to note that when when he does hit her with this dark beam or whatever, uh, he he does like just kind of look at her on the ground for a second. It's like, oh, oh, dang, that was maybe a little much. Yeah, he does not <laughs> want to like blow people up so yeah elidibus is here and everyone is really weirded out by that whole encounter because one white robed assian acting completely differently and like he definitely has sinister intentions but he's not as outwardly sinister as la habrea but we can't think about any of that we have moving to do we do have moving to do though it is very funny at one point Philly is like oh what's next puce colored assians crimson robed assians <laughs> pink robed assians i could say how many more assians should i know about no as uh, Elid- i can tell you i can assure you right now listener elidibus is the only one with drip he's the only one who has a different robe it's true. They Everyone don't. gets different masks, of course, but that's, you know, that's a, that's a different thing. That's a very different thing. But yes, it's back to moving day and everybody's getting ready to do that. It's worth noting also as well, uh, they're moving into the, basically the kind of the back of this bar, which is called the Seventh Heaven, which is also what the bar in Final Fantasy VII is called. Yes. Yeah, so, it's Tifa's bar. So fun, fun little, fun little Easter egg there, I suppose. So you 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 uh you get the, everything ready at the Rising Stones. Everybody moves in. We got Fla- Flamine working working behind the bar. We get our little dedication by Menphilia. All all is well. The Scions are thriving. They have they have thrown off their cloak of secrecy. They're announcing themselves to the world, but they continue to stay neutral. Uh, they will not allow themselves to fall under the sway of any one city state. Yes, and uh, no longer do. Uh do the uh the merchants sort of darken their doorstep though there is there is one person darkening their doorstep you notice or or rather when you when you show up tataru like makes note like hey there's a creepy guy that's just sort of standing out here this very suspicious outlandish man who just keeps mumbling about the crystal tower for some reason it's very tall blonde guy in an ostentatious mask and an ostentatious armor underneath an ostentatious coat i wonder who he could be it could be anyone so, so. yes we, we we will talk about the crystal tower soon i promise it is very important and obviously you do have to do it to yes. uh, to proceed with the story. However, before we get to that, there is one more thing to discuss. There's one more little little point on this uh, on this quest because we get a little post credits uh, in the Asian fucking wherever the fuck they meet. Um, it just looks the like sands a, hallway. It just looks like a <laughs> wine cellar. And yeah, it's uh, 
it's it's Elidibus coming back home and kind of are getting into a little bit of a tiff with Nabrialis, who does not approve of Elidibus's methods at all. No, but before we can even begin to talk about that, before we can even entertain the idea that there is a narrative going on, we have to address something very important. Oh, the right. Nabrialis. What is going on with your fucking hair, sir? So he's got a faux hawk. Um, he looks like a Kingdom Hearts character. He looks bad. Like, oh my god, the hair. Like, okay, okay. The thing about his mohawk is it's like, it looks like a RuneScape party hat a little bit. It's just got these two flat planes of hair on the two sides, and it's like empty in the middle with like a flat... Like, I don't know what's going on. It looks like straight up like a RuneScape hairstyle. It's not good. He needs to put the he needs to put the hood and the mask back on because or, or at least or at least see a hairdresser. Listen, we got the best one in the realm kicking around somewhere. Yeah, go see Jandelaine. He can help you out. He can hook you up because uh, yeah, it's it looks very bad. Um, <laughs> it's notable that Elidibus even here never shows his face. We saw some of the faces of the other Asians at the end of a Realm Reborn, but he Elidibus is never unmasked. So that's interesting. But yeah, there's a lot of implications about Elidibus. So like he positions himself as an emissary and sets himself apart from the other Asians, but not in opposition. Their methods do not align, but their goals do. Yeah, which is very interesting. He is so typically when you think of someone in the position of an emissary, you think that they're kind of beholden to the rest of that organization. They are like the diplomat of the whole affair. But in this case, that position is, it almost feels reversed because Elidibus seems very much like he's kind of untouchable by Nabrialis. Like, Nabrialis is annoyed with Elidibus for interfering, but he doesn't dare, like, be upset with him. He, he, he couches everything in, like, well, your, you know, your interference was not anticipated. Like, instead of being upset, he's like, well, this is maybe slightly inconvenient, you know? Do you want to explain what's going on here? They talk around the issue. It's worth noting that Elidibus introduced himself as an emissary of Zodiac not an emissary of the Asians, And so maybe perhaps his authority goes all the way to the top. And that is why no one can touch him and why he is so sort of separated from everyone else. It's it's worth noting because in the Realm Reborn, there was no indication that the Asians were anything other than like Organization 13 knockoffs that want to resurrect their god. But here immediately, we are getting an infusion of this weird like intrigue and factionalism into them that didn't exist at all before it was just la habrea cackling on a mountaintop while shit exploded yeah now we have a little bit more going on there's there's a little bit more to these guys than it sort of initially seemed uh which is quite interesting i think also i'm pretty sure elidibus says no one likes la habrea anyway yeah no he literally does at some point like um like at some point when when he's he's talking to you uh, after you do his, like, really d- dumb little, like, trial where he makes you, like, walk 20 feet and fight a bunch of imps. And he's like, yeah, you know, Librea is kind of an asshole. None of us really like him, but he has his uses. Yeah, he's, he says he's a warrior. I'm an emissary. Our paths are different. But it's a polite way of saying Librea is a shit stirrer. Um, but yeah, that's about it. Uh, the only other thing is that the students of Beldesian got blown up, but at this point we barely know what that means, so whatever. 
Yeah. They're he... the students of Baldesian are a group that is aligned with the Scions that helps them from somewhere, somewhere. that Menphilia has some kind of bond with. We have literally no idea who they are or what they do really. No, but we do know one thing. Apparently somebody named Kryle yeah. is involved. I'm sure uh, that she will not come up and not be an important character. But it's just another thing of, like, we blow up this faction off screen that we didn't really know anything about or had any characters belonging to that we cared about. So, well, why would I care then? Like, Yeah, it's like the students of Baldesian sort of, like, they, they serve a weird purpose. They're almost like... Oh god, they're they're like they're 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 the same purpose as like the supercomputer, right? Like it's it's like, oh we need to get information on something. Let's they're, let's call up the research team. Yeah, they're the fucking bat computer. Yeah. Um, which is which is kinda lame, because like there I there there's there's potential there that I think gets really dropped on the floor. And once again, just like Minfilia, there is other stuff that will be done with them later, much later. That's simply not here, so it's hard for us to talk about them as anything other than, well, those guys uh, that we didn't know anything about got blown up. Yeah, they exploded. Let's pour one out, everybody. Moment of silence. So that is patch 2.1, A Realm Awoken. It is, um... It exists. It exists. I will say, this is a, a real calm before the storm situation. This patch, I think, is actually pretty competent. I think this is like a good introduction to the world post-Operation Archon. It gives us like a, a meaningful path to to walk along it gives like the player like expectations it you know has a pretty fun fight in it um it's not like too terribly long anymore and i don't know i I think all altogether 2.1 is pretty competent but there's of course lots of other stuff to discuss with it but all of that has to be behind the gate of the spoiler zone yes but before we get to the spoiler zone uh, why don't we do just a couple of plugs? Now we sure. don't tip. We haven't done plugs on here uh, in a while, but uh, but we've got some new stuff kicking around, including our newly revamped Patreon. Nira, why don't you talk about that for a moment? That's right. That is Patreon. Is it Patreon.com/slash/CrystalRadioWorks? It is. That's Patreon.com/slash/CrystalRadioWorks. All one word. And of course, we have three tiers: one dollar, three dollar, five dollars. One dollar gets you all of our legacy content. That's all of the stuff that we started with the podcast to power your Owlcasts, your Keepocasts, your first season, the Infinity Train, all that other various stuff. That's that's all there if you get one dollar. That's like already like a hundred hours or something or something probably. At least fifty. At least twenty. It's quite it's quite a few. And then, of course, at three dollars we have our, our our main tier, our Warriors of Crystal tier. Now that gives you access to all of the current content, all the stuff we're gonna be doing on the side for Radio Free Heidel, and that means a lot of side quest content, side dungeon content, um, any sort of uh, major like uh side stuff that isn't really relevant to the rest of the story, but uh, you know, would be uh would be important to uh to cover at some point uh and then at the at the final tier which is actually eight dollars uh that that is the trusted companions tier now that tier gets you all of the the previous things but it also gets you access to the radio free highland party finder situation now every once in a while we're going to be doing uh raid nights uh, or other community events on our uh, on our discord which is 
almost set up close almost there and uh, we'll be posting links to that but uh, but yes we're gonna be doing uh, the content uh, with some of the viewers so uh, you know we're gonna be doing old high level content uh, you know the old ex trials stuff like that the binding coils just just sort of going through it with you guys uh, and of course we get we might also do current stuff uh, if people are, are some people are caught up. And if you are one of our $3 or higher patrons, you get a shout-out in every episode. So that's going to be Becky Scott Fairley, Amitas Girgis, uh, Ashley, Casey Cosmos, Emmalyn, Enrique Rebeldo Arnusio, uh, Garrett Johnson, Haley Moreland, I Beauregard, Emogen Q, Jacko Nuro, Jennifer Jones, Kaylee Luisa, Mabel Mabel, Mia Berg, uh, Michael Steinert, Rocky Dot, uh, Sid Vesper, Sir Sheepsalot, TCO, Tobu, Trisha Montez, Vertigree, Yusuf Gurch, and Autumn Keys. Thank you very much. But yeah, of course, you can find that at patreon.com slash crystalradioworks. And of course, we also have our, our socials for however long it still exists. We are on Twitter at Heidelin Radio, and we are on co-host at Radio Free Heidelin. Yes, uh, there will be some tumblers and stuff too at some point uh, in the near future. Here we're we're getting stuff migrated over, um, so keep an eye out for that. But yes, uh, is is there anything else you wanted to plug? Talk cycles coming soon. Yes, talk cycles. That's going to be the sort of spiritual successor to the uh, podcast of power, the old Shira podcast we used to do quite a while ago. Uh, this is it's going to cover uh, various different um, sort of contemporaries in in that you know serialized and semi serialized animation realm. So keep your eyes peeled for that one. Monthly first first episode is going to be on Infinity Train book two and. If you are a $1 patron, or above, obviously, you get to vote on the next month's episode, what we're going to cover. Exactly. But for now, if uh, if you are uh, leaving us, then uh, we wish you the best. But if you want to talk about spoilers, we'll see you on the other side. Elidibus. Elidibus. Now this is quite a guy, ain't he? Yes. He I forgot he was introduced so early. I thought he was a couple of patches in, but no, he's he's basically here from the very beginning. It's interesting going back because for so long Elidibus was a very mysterious character who really didn't we didn't know much about at all. No, we really didn't. He he stays a fairly mysterious character for quite a while, honestly. Until 5.3, even. like we Now, of course, we know everything there is to know about him, pretty much. But um, until then, he was a complete enigma, pretty much. And looking back on him now, I'm actually pretty impressed 
by how kind of fully formed he seems. He's he's already here. Yeah, he's already here. Unlike a lot of characters that sort of need time to sort of cook uh, in in the story, Elidibus really does come out of the gate kind of as himself. Like he feels correct here. You know, he's he he takes his job very seriously as the emissary as the the diplomat the one who wants to bring about the um the the sort of rejoining in a way that is a little bit less violent and horrible and i i, I think that's 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 very interesting to have set up so early considering how the Asians are sort of framed at this point in the storyline. So Elidibus, as we know now, is the heart of Zodiac, which is why he is so tied so closely to him. He is functionally a primal, and yeah, he he is he is the emissary. He just wants to save everyone. He was sort of brought about as a way to keep the 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 Asians from infighting. And um, it's interesting because. As a result of that, later Fandaniel and right now Nabrialis see him as sort of this like nag, this um this kind of buzzkill for all of their other stuff. Like among I get the sense that among the unsundered, he is the one who is not well liked by most other people. Yeah, he he definitely gives like he keeps the reins fairly tight. Like between Emmett Selk and Elidibus, they keep the reins very tight in different ways on the rest of the Asians. And what's what's interesting to note also about Elidibus's position as the emissary, it's like Zodiac as a primal, like he doesn't have like a will. Like they sort of specifically built Zodiac as almost like a primal mech suit in a way. Like Elidibus is for all intents and purposes Zodiac. You know, which which is very interesting, all things considered. Here, he he because he positions himself as an emissary of 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 Zodiac instead of just the sort of beating core of of the primal. And I think that's because they don't. He doesn't really know what he is because you can't know. You can't know what you are if you're in that position, or else you're gonna you're gonna go mad. You're gonna like have an existential crisis. Um, yeah. He also and, has quite a few memory issues, if we remember correctly. Yes, his memory is full of holes. Um, and it's 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 like worth noting we never see Elidibus's actual face. He is always wearing the face of someone else. Well, we see it once. We we see it once when he is the warrior of light, where he looks like his old self, who we see in Pandemonium, which I guess is there is still some of Elidibus to see. We we need to see the rest of his time as Themis. But, like, for all intents and purposes, we know who Lydibus is. He was kind of the Alphano of the, the 13, right? He was this young, precocious upstart with all of these crazy ideas that everyone sort of tolerated. And it, it's just, it's interesting seeing how far he has come from these early stages. Because he's one of the... He's one of the characters who almost changes the least and simply gets, like, demystified. Yeah, I think it's really, really interesting that you said that he's basically the Alpha Nova of the 13, because I think that's a really good way of framing him, because he he fills, in a lot of ways, the same roles. Like, this patch sort of establishes Alpha Nova as this upstart, like, extremely pragmatic individual, somebody who 
is uh, absolutely concerned against all else about, like, protecting the realm, about protecting people, about saving everyone. That is his primary goal, and he's willing to sacrifice almost anything to make that happen, including, at a certain point, his own moral compass. And I think... You know, Alfano has this this great fall coming in uh, in the late half of, of these patches here, but uh, you know, Elidibus didn't really get an opportunity to have that kind of a fall. He is is sort of thrust into a position where his pragmatism like makes him be sort of the core participant in the Zodiac project, and that that sort of robs him of 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 his life and the direction he could have had in a lot of ways it's also worth noting that elidibus's role in kind of cultivating warriors of light to sort of drive worlds towards the point where a a, a reclamation can be made already is here i mean he, he leads you through this gauntlet but like this is something he does for plenty of people. We hear about it in 5.2 and 5.3 where all of these adventurers are going out and sort of unwittingly getting tested by Elidibus. He gives every, all those people the echo uh, in 5.2 by showing them Amarat's destruction. Um, he is very much involved behind the scenes throughout the entire game. I mean, obviously, when he's wearing Xenos like a skin suit after uh, after Stormblood, he he is he is still pulling these machinations. And Elidibus, yeah, he is he is a very interesting character. He's a character I really came to like over the course of Shadowbringers and and Endwalker. And it's just weird to see him back here. I know he's going to be up on that moon for the longest time. Elidibus so just the guy who, what, what was on the moon yeah and and that that almost has its own little mystique to it doesn't it like he, he he's 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 the man in the moon and i think that that has like it adds to his mystique somewhat that this fact that he's so distant for for so much of it like he takes such a uh step back and, and observes everything uh, and, you know, so, so whenever he does actually show up physically in the story, it has, uh, such a significant impact on not just the events going on, but also the characters, uh, who interact with him. Yeah. It's also, you know, I, it's also interesting. I guess it's not that interesting. It's actually La Habrea, who's the aberrant one here, because all of the Asians wear dead skin suits all the time. Of course. La Habrea is the only one who possesses a living person, which makes him the freak. But yeah, Ardbird and Xenos were both dead when Elidibus uh, possessed them. Of course, Xenos wasn't actually dead, as we learned. I'm not. I'm still not sure how. I guess it was just like sheer force of will that his soul lingered somewhere. Well, no, there, there's so the there was the bit in Stormblood, like way towards the end of Stormblood, where they were doing the uh, experiments. Oh, right. Where he, where like Xenos had the echo artificially like installed right. in his brain. The, like the weird fake echo. They had, they had a special name for it, but I can't remember what it is. Yeah, and that gave him the ability to like fully control like his soul orb and let him like go right. into in, into other people that's and why stuff he like went that. into the sh- well, that's why he went into shinryu yes but yeah I, I did forget about that so yeah but elidibus he's here and he will be here for the foresee he's technically still around in the story like not in the present but in the past um was there anything else we, i kind of wanted to talk about the scions because it's funny right we're back to square one with the scions they are once again a secret organization 
yeah, no, we've we've really come full circle where we had the the scions start as this like deep, you know, trying to be deep secret, but mostly you know as yeah, as you know, I think it's Yustola who says this at one point that the scions are the worst kept secret yes, in in she, all of Eorzea. She does say that. I like that. So, yeah, and now of course. They're much less worried about being politically neutral. I mean, look at Alphano and Alice. You know what they're doing in Garlemald right now. Mm-hmm. Look at uh, what Estain is doing in Thavnair, hanging out with Vritra. Like, sure, this is—it's personal. It is personal to help Vritra find his sister, but also you are personally assisting a head of state in in some business. So you know the the fact that the Scions do not technically on paper no longer exist kind of frees them up to do that and that was the stated intention of like we all need to be free to operate on our own without being beholden to the larger group all the time exactly and that's again you know we we brought up earlier you know the questions of like you know what are the scions and what is their ultimate mission in 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 the world like what is the stance that they need to take and that is a question that is asked and answered repeatedly in different ways over the course of this game sometimes that answer is that the scions need to be a secret organization operating from behind the 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 front lines and just cleaning up primals as they appear and then it becomes you know the scions need to be this like guiding beacon this 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 sort of vanguard situation to guide the rest of the alliance with the uh the crystal braves and whatnot and then of course that implodes uh badly <laughs> it just just really just really fucking burns everything in the ground they have to rebuild again and the answer changes again you know they and again and again and again that answer always changes as to why the scions are here and what they need to be doing it's interesting the the scions as a group never really came back into focus until stormblood or post stormblood because until that time basically they were all absent in some way or another um where they were not the focus of the story or they were all split up um, I believe it is in post Stormblood where Alphano literally sits everyone down and asks, "What is the science? What are the science?" He, no, it's 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 post Heavens where once everyone is back, he, they all sit down and ask, "What are the scions of the Seventh Dawn? What do we do with this?" And I think it's interesting that he is the one who's asking that because obviously at this point, the boy has grown up a lot. He's he's been through Heavens where he's he's he has matured a lot. He has seen a lot. Yeah, he's he's really grown up and had his 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 very large slice of humble pie here. And it it's it's one of those things where I, I, I Alphano being kind of the focal character of the Scions, I think is really appropriate and interesting. Now I and this is this is no secret, but when I was playing this game for the first time, I really, really disliked Alphano at first. I thought he was just a total little shithead. I fucking hated his ass. And, you know, the whole Crystal Braves debacle really did not help matters. You know, 15-year-old makes his own private military company. Oh, gee whiz, sorry about this, guys. I fucked everything up, you know. It didn't do him any favors, but the fact that he goes through this arc, it mirrors as an organization how how the Scions sort of 
function as a group like there's there's this like wave of of like pretension and and like um like self-importance that comes after operation archon people get really full of themselves they feel like they 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 can take on the world and they get a little too confident in their ability to do that and they end up falling prey to some of the most like obvious scam artistry anyone's ever done and the fall and and rebuilding the slow rebuilding as everyone sort of takes time to figure out what the fuck they're up to like what they're doing and what is important to them over the course of heaven's word you know it's it's really interesting how his journey as as a character uh like both in in his you know broad arc and also like as a a political entity is kind of the arc of the scions as a whole it's interesting the way they are now functionally what the scions of the seventh dawn are is like this loose organization of you know extremely brilliant and powerful individuals who are of course all very very close friends but all are all excel in their own ways and all all use those talents to to better themselves in the world and i think if you write it wrong that can turn like randian right that can turn into some great man shit oh of like these 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 stalwart heroes tower above us all but i I think what the scions are are more like it's it's i can't come up with a with a with an analog quite off the top of my head but they they are actually giving back and and actually working selflessly unlike what these people would have uh would like the, the the randians and whatnot would have their sort of great men do which is get rich i guess is the only thing that really matters to them yeah exactly like like the the thing about like a like a great man style situation is that the great man isn't really fallible but when you look at somebody like alphano alphano is extraordinarily fallible and it's it's his kind of succumbing to that that very individualistic sort of pragmatism that that he that he really really digs into in these in these patch quests in particular like that is actually what makes him the most vulnerable he ever is in the entire story like he like him at his sort of peak of you know political activity here in the in the first half of the story he is he's making moves he's making waves he's talking to people he's shaking hands he's he's writing treatises and that at his at his sort of peak of influence is actually him at his most vulnerable and most easily manipulated and we get like this really nice sort of reflection of that influence at the very 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 end of Endwalker, where now the Scions have had all of this time to grow as an organization, and Alphano himself has had time to grow as a person, and now when he wields that same influence, he's not the one making every decision, he is simply using the group's influence as a whole to move things forward when he takes the time uh to when 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 the question becomes how are we going to source 
all of this adamantite that we need to build uh, the, the, the super rockets for the spaceship. He answers that question immediately. He calls everyone up on the cell phone and he gets their help. And it's, it's, it's this really, I think it's, it's a really interesting mirror to the way that he operates in these, in these earlier patches. Yeah. I I think the Scions as an organization have become much more clarified and much less troubling when you consider their place in the world of like, well, they're this secret organization with no real oversight that just uh, deals with primals and primals only. And they also have a fuck ton of like equipment and secret knowledge. Don't worry about it. It's fine. Now we finally have the Scions as I think they were intended to be, which was like the main party. It just took a few expansions and it's, it's a couple a of writers years. and you know, all of that stuff. But uh, there's one more thing I wanted to talk about, something that I just thought of as we were discussing the events of, of this patch. Because I was thinking about Anphilia, and I was thinking about Elidibus, and how uh, they basically become the same thing. The Oracle of Light is functionally what Elidibus is to Zodiac uh, for Hydaelyn. Yeah, sort of. I, I, can, I can see what you mean by that. Yeah, in a lot of ways... She kind of is basically Heidelin's emissary, and it, it's it's also it, so with Menphilia specifically. I said that I didn't really care for her in this portion of the story, and I still don't, and I and I still think they fumble it. However, interestingly, she becomes a much more interesting character once she exits the story, because there is much more dramatic things to be done with her sudden disappearance and ascendance. There's all this stuff with Reen and there's all this stuff with Thancred and it's like, well, perhaps dying is the best thing that could have happened to Menphilia. Yeah, it's it's always so it's it's always a tough one because you know, the most dramatic thing a character can do is die, obviously, and that's always a path that I think think i'm i'm pretty reserved about i i find i find like it's 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 hard to do that in a way that i think is is always good um and final fantasy 14 does have a little bit of an issue where it does have a tendency to just murk women um, women often exploded in the earlier uh in the earlier expansions, especially Heavensward and Realm Reborn, we'll get to the most egregious one. Oh yeah. Uh, later this this patch here, but um, fucking pour one out. But or you know, even the Munbrita stuff, they will they will use later as a foundation for something good, even if in the moment it is this very rushed thing. And I think that's what it is from Infilia. For one, she isn't entirely dead. Her Exiting the story is it puts her in, a, in, a, in an interesting place where she's technically still alive. She's just different. She's just elsewhere. And I really love all of the stuff with Reen and Thancred in Shadowbringers. I think it's all very well done. And Menphilia's role as this, like... It's she's not really a symbol. She is she is. It's difficult for me to to say right now, but I just I I quite liked all of the Oracle of Light stuff uh, as it sort of unfolded through Heaven's Word and then and then on through Shadowbringers. But yeah, I mean, thankfully they have stopped exploding women for the most part. Hydaelyn is a different beast altogether. Yeah, that's a different thing. That's that's a whole a whole situation. I you know and and 
with, with Minfilia specifically, it's very much a case of, like, I think the decision at the time to sort of kill her off in the way they did, I, I think I didn't really agree with. And I think that there are a lot of ways that they could have done it a little a little better. I, I think that overall Minfilia's story ends up being very interesting, and I really do like the interplay, like you were saying, with Thancred and with Reen, and I, I think that does all work out. And we'll we'll really dig more into that as it sort of unfolds, but I, I feel like all things considered, it, it was done well enough, though I, I do really wish they had taken more advantage of her as a character while she was, you know, in her position as the antecedent of the Scions. I, I just feel like she's really underutilized. I guess my thing is that I don't know what they would take advantage of. What is Minfilia's character? That's the thing, right? Like, her character is basically, like... She's nice lady in charge who says that you're a family two seconds after you join the Scions. Like, well, hang on a minute. You need, you need to slow down. Yeah. It, this ain't a fucking Olive Garden lady. But she's got she has the foundations that she sure. can be interesting. I, I just I think that it's one of those things where it's like if they had given her more of a like like an M style position. Like if she if she sure. was really more of like the, the, the leader of the scions in that early day. Cause cause the thing is and that just that that the problem with that is that they just didn't have any time to develop the Scions as an organization before they had Livius S. Junius do a bunch of fucking Fortnite flips and kill everybody in there. And that's the thing too, right? Is they didn't really have the time to establish her because now you have in these patch quests is is the sort of rise of Alphano and his sort of ascend uh, ascension to power and then like giant cratering. So that has to be established. So there really isn't time for Minfilia to become the leader that she's really intentioned to be. So she ends up being a really, really, really flat, two-dimensional sort of cardboard cutout, which is a real shame. I, I think that there was potential to have a really interesting, like, leader character here. They just, they really fumbled it. Interestingly, I think Kryle's role in Inwalker is what Minfilia's role should have been, the sort of spiritual center, the kind of, like... Not necessarily a a powerhouse in any in any one area, but someone who understands Heidelin and who understands like the the sort of heart of things, which is where they go with her character as the Oracle of Light. But it's an aspect that ultimately never really comes through until the end when she hears Heidelin speaking in those sewer tunnels. Um, this sort of spiritual part of her. She always says "Walk in the light of the crystal," yada yada, but it's never really explained like. How she got to this point, how she became so devoted to Louis Swa and his ideals is never really explored in any real depth uh, within the text of the game itself. I'm sure there's a there's a prose story somewhere that can tell you all about it, but it's it's she's sort of like just here fully formed as nice white lady who gives you fun pizzas at, at the waking sands <laughs> um to me arm and philia and Kanisena inspire the same non-emotion i simply can't care about them 
Yeah, and I I really can't blame you for that. It, it it is a shame though. I do I do think definitely Kryle does sort of become like you said that that the promise of what Bethlehem could have been is is the is the role that she takes up later. And even then, that took her a while there too because they keep putting her in timeout. They keep putting her in tubes. Put her in a tube. She's babysitting all the scions. Fucking decaying bodies in Shadowbringers. It's she finally gets a chance to do stuff in Endwalker. Yeah, which I'm really happy about. Like, I, I think that I think Kryle, Kryle, being, like becoming the center of like like becoming that M style character. I think is Kryle really needs cool. to be the main character of Seven Yeah, I think I think that's absolutely true. I think that I think Kryle needs to like really. It's it's the age of Kryle. We're living in it. It's coming. Yeah, we we've we've got it. We've got it here, uh, right written down in the history books. Age of Kryle. That's the that's the eighth. Cryal era. But I think with that, that's all I really wanted to discuss. Do you have any topics you wanted to bring up here? No, I think that actually about does it. I do want to discuss more about the whole Crystal Braves thing, but I'm going to save that for when they come up in uh, in the near future. But, uh, you know, for now, I think that does about do it for us. Well, until next time, I've been one of your hosts, Nero. And I've been the other host, Jane. And we'll see you in the fields of Eorzea Adventures.